0: For this episode, viewers' discretion advised. The discussion of drug use is in this content.
1: This podcast is brought to you courtesy of Reynold, the world's most exclusive sunglasses. The spring 2021 portfolio of Renold sunglasses is now available at renauld.co.uk and at select boutiques around the globe. You are listening to Paolo Di Marco Podcast,
0: One of the world's leading luxury magazines. Welcome everybody to the Paul DeMarco podcast. Today on the show, we are interviewing Sam Cutler, the former manager for the Rolling Stones and the Grateful Dead. Welcome. How are you?
1: Hi. yeah, we better say tour manager for the Rolling Stones. I was co-manager of the Grateful Dead, agent and tour manager. So I had three jobs with the Grateful Dead and one with the Rolling Stones, tour manager. Oh, great. Okay. Um,
0: Seeing that you've been working in the music industry since the 60s, what era would you say had the most freedom in music?
1: Well, I think before the music business, you know, became a real business, you know, where business was much more important than music. I think the period from about 1965 to 75 was a golden age of creativity. And uh, certainly a lot of wonderful, wonderful artists emerged during that period. And, of course, that was a period of sociological change, you know. From the the 65 to 75, the Western world changed in many ways. So um, i go 65 to 75 as my... uh, Favorite period.
0: What was the atmosphere like back then?
1: I can't remember. Everyone was doing
0: drugs.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It was stoned. I mean, you know what I mean. It was a. This was a period when people were taking. Basically, when the 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 uh, at least in '65, you know, it was. it was uh, marijuana was a, uh, and hashish were the fav- favorite drugs. Everyone was getting high as opposed to getting completely wrecked and smashed. And there was a very loving and kind and alternative kind of vibe going on, you know, in the, that period in the 60s. And that kind of morphed into everyone taking acid and uh And then, of course, you know, the great cocaine era of the early 70s. So, you know, as the drugs changed, so the lifestyle changed, so people's attitude changed, and so the music changed. Uh, The music business has been a constantly evolving and morphing kind of trip. You know, it goes from one scene to another, and and, uh, people take on new ideas. Um, So that's what makes it fun. It's It's constantly evolving and changing
0: said that there was like a, a cocaine era would you say that the change of music would have been specifically because of the use of drugs in that time
1: definitely got faster didn't it, it got cold mm. it got colder it got harder it got faster it got less sensitive i mean coke's not a particularly good Funny enough it's not a particularly good drug as far as um, making music is concerned it doesn't really fit with the uh, sensitive souls you know it's a bit m- a bit too macho
0: what's your preferred choice
1: well i you know i mean i always loved the grateful dead and i love the rolling stones as the two kind of extremes if you like miles davis called the grateful dead a jazz band that played rock and roll which i think was a good description and my description of the rolling stones would be of a blues band that played rock and roll what
0: were your previous experiences like with um with lsd
1: my first trip was a nightmare it was unbelievable. It was not, what happened? Well, it just wasn't fun, you know I mean? I had all kinds of... I had a really bad trip. But uh, they say your first trip is the only real trip that you have. So subsequently, of course, I had many, many trips with the Grateful Dead. We all used to get high before uh, the band played, you know. But we kind of microdose. We didn't, you know... Take acid in order to have conversations with God. I still had to count money and deal with the police and the pub, you know, the promoters and everybody else, and keep things happening and uh, be aware of the time and all those things that tour managers do. It was a slightly more gentle approach to it, not quite so manic and uh, and uh, over the top, you know. But my first trip was in England in I can't even remember the year sixty either sixty seven or sixty eight and it was a bad one and uh, that was good it just that was me uh, clearing out a, bu- a bunch of uh, obviously of uh, mental cobwebs that needed clearing out thereafter it was a more pleasant experience
0: I would say that whenever you take those substances it 's like viewing life on a third person perspective.
1: Well, that's one way. Of, I mean, I don't think that any one description is adequate to the task. You know what I mean? Mm. And each, mm. each individual person has, um, has, you know, their own individual kind of response. There's many drugs that I've taken that I absolutely hated. And couldn't just couldn't see. I mean, I've never been into heroin. I thought it was a disgusting drug. I've never been into ketamine. That's a disgusting drug. I've had seven cancers, so I now no longer even take drugs. I don't drink alcohol. I don't smoke cigarettes. I smoked cigarettes for 60 years. Um, so you know what I mean. Life changes. Music changes. Life changes. We become different people. Uh, we when you want to. Uh, you know, work for the two largest bands in the world, just about, then you're that kind of person. You're very aggressive and very, you know, powerful kind of person. And then for many years now, I've been a writer. So I've been a much quieter, more reflective, introspective kind of person. And it's a band nowadays. I'd laugh at them. I don't want to do it, man. I'm 78 years old. It's for young people. You know, I was working with the Rolling Stones when I was 26.
0: What advice would you give to up-and-coming
1: managers? Don't do it. Um, well, better love your band, man. I mean, that's what I always told the bands I work for. You can't pay me enough money to work for you. The only reason I'm doing this is because I love you. So love the band you're working with, otherwise forget it. Well, I mean, you might as well go work for the post office or the government.
0: What was the biggest night partying with the Rolling Stones?
1: Well, the Stones, you know, I mean, the Stones are very different from other bands. You know, I mean, it was very memorable with the Rolling Stones, for example, to play at uh, uh, Madison Square Gardens. That was a a big moment, you know, for them and in their career and all that. And, you know, they recorded it. It was a live album, Get Your Yoyos Out, which was a fantastic album, which was partly recorded there. The band was, in some respects, at the height of their powers. So that was a fantastic gig.
0: What would you say is the biggest difference between the music industry now?
1: Well, the music industry now is, is, is a business. Its, its primary concern is money not music. It could be ice cream, man. It could be, I don't know, coal. It could be oil. It could be whatever. All of the all of the, per, of the parameters are fixed by business concerns, not aesthetic concerns. So it's not, you know, how good the music is or whatever. It's just how potentially uh, successful it could be, how many people you think could love it and like it and buy it.
0: You know, music back in the day was all about self-expression and freedom and and really telling it how it is. But now there's so many walls up and barriers because it's mainly corporate. Exactly.
1: Exactly. You know, the suits have taken over, man. It's all being run by accountants. But, I mean, nonetheless, you know, the music business has always been – bums on seats you know how many tickets you can sell how many people you can get to come to your concert how many people you can get to buy something on spotify or whatever it might be you know it's still a, a numbers game it's just
0: become um corporatized do you think that's a good thing with spotify and all these so, free to play platforms people can like stream their music would you say that it's as good as before where people had to buy records?
1: Well, you see, the music,
0: it's hard for me to answer that
1: because the music business is not re- really designed for somebody like me. The music business is designed for my sons who are 26 and 23 and people younger than mm. that. You know I mean? It ain't for people who are 78, for God's sake. And I've always said, you know, if the music re- business relied on my taste, there wouldn't be such a thing as the music business, you know. It's for young people. So – uh yeah man you know the music business what what is interesting and fun about it is is it constantly changing and evolving so very bright people go into the music business and they decide well wouldn't it be fun to do it this way or let's try it that way you know what Mm -hmm. i mean and uh, so that's what's great about the music business it's uh, constantly changing there's always room for somebody with new ideas to come along and and experiment and try things and That's why young people like it. It's their business. It's a young person's business. People open for stuff. And, of course, you know, the suits, the accountants, they try and keep their, you know, finger on the pulse and try and control it all, sometimes successfully, sometimes not.
0: You've said you left behind a life of massive hedonism to find yourself and follow your own dreams. Can you tell us what that means?
1: Yeah, I mean, what that means in a nutshell is that I was sick to death of working on making other people's fantasies happen. You know, whether it was the Rolling Stones, the Grateful Dead, the band, the Allman Brothers, all the different people that I play, play you know, worked with and played with. And I was more interested. I got to a point in my life where, I, you know, I was in my 30s and I wanted to work out what it was that I wanted to do for me. And what I have always wanted, or had always wanted to do was to be a writer. So that's what I've been for the last 40-odd years, an unsuccessful, very lazy writer <laughs> and quite happy doing it.
0: What does it take as a tour manager for the biggest rock band in history?
1: It takes balls of brass for a start, man. And it takes uh, being prepared to answer the telephone at any time of the day or night. And deal with whatever is happening on the other end of the line. I mean, I've had people call me up and say, well, you know, four o'clock in the morning, I had a phone call famously at one juncture. Somebody called me up and said, Sam, you've got to come to my room. To which I replied, for fuck's sake, man, it's four o'clock in the morning. And they said, (laughs) there's somebody here with a gun. Okay, I'll be right there.
0: (laughs) Oh my God. When was this? That was in uh,
1: 1970 one seventy two you know so all kinds of things happen man you 've got to be prepared to deal with anything, whether it 's promoters, the police uh, you know uh, girls who uh, claim that your artists uh, interfere with them, whatever you know what i mean there 's a million and one different things that uh, one has to uh, deal with and uh, and if you can 't deal with the stuff and do do it in a kind of diplomatic way or a tough way, depending on. You know what the situation requires, then you're in the wrong position. Tour management is a unique and special thing because, of course, you have to have the trust of your artists who rely on you, and uh, you, you know, you have to have self-control. You can't be a drunk. You can't be somebody who's strung out on heroin. That don't work as a tour manager. Tour manager's got to be in control of himself or herself and in control of the tour. When we get on the plane tomorrow. You can't say, "Oh, fuck off." Leave me alone. I don't want to know.
0: You need to take control of the full situation, yeah. and also and also be a, a friend too, which is very difficult yeah. to do because you need to you need to tell people what to do. But then, I did, I like, did sit, well, yeah, <laughs> I Tell them yeah, what to do.
1: Yeah. I tell them what not to do. I mean, the whole point about being a tour manager as well is and being a friend. I mean, people need to be clear about this: is that you tell people that you work with and for, and who are your friends. The truth you speak truth to power, so if they're doing something that's you know not going to not going to help the tour and not going to help them personally, then I have the right as the tour manager to tell them you know what I mean you can't do certain drugs you just can't do and hope to survive on a three or four months tour. It doesn't work. You know what I mean? You've got to eat properly. You've got to sleep properly. You've got to keep yourself together. You've got to make sure you've got clothes to wear, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not for the faint-hearted. You've got to be together.
0: What has been the scariest moment?
1: Well, I mean, I've been seen people killed in front of me. Um, that's pretty scary. You know, if you if you're the type that gets scared... But, I mean, they weren't trying to kill me. They were killing somebody else. But, you know, Altamont people got killed. And I've been in various situations which were, yeah, hairy, to say the least. So one tries to um, deal with those situations when they arise and then uh, happily forget about them.
0: What would be the highest achievement for the Rolling Stones, in your opinion?
1: Their longevity. The the fact that they've all managed to... Work together still and remain friends is quite extraordinary over a fifty what
0: fifty year period. Some friends who are musicians and they couldn't even be in a band for six months without trying to beat each other up. Exactly.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. That's quite extraordinary, isn't
1: it? How long the Rolling Stones Rolling Stones in many ways has showed everybody how to do it. So the Grateful Dead, I mean the Grateful Dead been together fifty odd years. What was their
0: dynamic like when they were younger?
1: Well, they were a great band. I mean, the Grateful Dead were a fabulous band. They're a jazz band that played rock and roll. So the music could go anywhere. Mm. So they're a very creative band, you know. Not like they're different to the Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones played very structured music. The Grateful Dead played very free music that could go anywhere. They're all great people, man. I mean, all the I have no complaints about the people I work with. couldn't have worked with them unless I loved them. Especially
0: for spending so much time with them, too. Yeah, and it's just listen, it's
1: your life. Why are you going to work, waste mm. your life working for a bunch of assholes?
0: What was the greatest achievement for the Grateful Dead?
1: Well, we had a, we had a few. Say. The Grateful Dead played the largest, the largest paid gig in the history of the music business, which, which was at Watkins Glen. So we, I, I represented all three bands: the band, the Allman Brothers, and the Grateful Dead. And there were six hundred and twenty thousand paid admissions. So that was a pretty big achievement. Grateful Dead, did he, again, we, I, that I organised, it did the 7, 1972 European tour, right? And uh, issued the largest live recording ever put out, which was 70 CDs of the whole tour. There's been Whoa. some pretty, um, yeah, amazing um, events
0: along the road, you know? So how has life been becoming a bit more settled? Oh, I, yeah,
1: I'm great, man. I mean, I live in Brisbane, in Australia. I've got a nice apartment. I'm a Harley-Davidson trike, three-wheeled bike, you know. So I drive that around and I've got a four-wheel drive van and uh, life is good. I live on my own and I'm riding. I'm finishing up up a book now uh, that's going to come out with a film, hopefully next year, to be called, uh, well, so far the working title is Friend of the Devil and um it'll have a lot of rock and roll stories and all kinds of other stuff in it so life is good and i've had seven cancers i'm in the middle of fighting the latest one and uh yeah life goes life goes on until it doesn't alan
0: tell me more about your book
1: my book is um it's a series of reminiscences about my life basically it's an, it's an autobiography it's autobiographical writing There's At the moment, it's 700,000 words, so I've got to cut it down a bit. Otherwise, it's going to be five books instead of one. But we're working on that. And, uh, yeah, that's it. I mean, you can't really – I can't talk about my book, really. Uh, People will buy it, and they'll think what they think. I made a book which is still selling and uh, did really well called You Can't Always Get What You Want. My life with the Rolling Stones, the Grateful Dead, and other wonderful reprobates—that's still being read and enjoyed by people. I'm pleased to say. So, hopefully, by this time next year, a new book will make its way.
0: How was it traveling around Australia in that bus? I love
1: it. I love Australia. Australia is great. Australia is just perfect for uh, you know the wanderer. It has wonderful campsites. Mm. You don't, you know, nobody bothers you. It's this huge country that's bigger than. No- than uh america you know so and there's only 20 26 million people here and most of australia feels like it's empty so i loved it i loved it you know and uh, it was only the fact that i uh, had some illnesses that made me uh, have to live in a city and be close to hospitals but i'm okay and life is good
0: well, I'm from Adelaide right. originally. Okay. Yeah. And um, and, I, and I currently live on the Gold right. Coast. And I know exactly what you mean when, when you travel outside of the cities and you go like more in the hinterland area or more in the desert, there's no yeah. one around <laughs> for hours. Like you can drive for days and you won't see I love anybody.
1: It. I love it. I mean, yeah. yeah. It's great. It just means you can micromanage mm. it. You know I mean? You can, you've got that choice. You can be in places, you know, the, where there's no one and have beautiful, splendid isolation and amazing stars at night and just special, you know. Or you can be on the Gold Coast and Brisbane or Sydney, wherever, Melbourne, and party. You know, just you've got that option in Australia.
0: If you were to have a younger body, which lifestyle would you prefer to have currently? Would you prefer to have more of a relaxed lifestyle where you're ultimately free, or manage the band and, and be one of the most successful tour managers well, ever?
1: I think it's all down to your age, man. You know, tour management, being a tour manager and wanting to, you know, represent the greatest rock and roll band in the world and all that stuff, you've got to be, you know, full of spunk, you've got to be powerful, you know what I mean? You've got to want to go for those kind of things. It's like being in the army. You don't want to be in the army when you're 70. You know what I mean? You want to be in the army and jumping out of helicopters when you're 22. And the same with rock and roll. Rock and roll is a young person's game, really. Certainly if you're a tour manager, it is. So, um, no, I'm happy with my life as it is right now, man. I'm lucky to be
0: alive and Mm. I'm grateful to be alive. Still listening to rock and roll or or because of your lifestyle, have you gone back to more of a relaxing music? All kinds of stuff. Not so much rock and
1: roll, but I listen to a lot of 70s, Rock and roll, I listen to a lot of blues, I listen to jazz, I listen to world music, I I listen to classical music, I love classical music, I love opera, I listen to a whole range of music. It's just like, you know, it's like you the music the music business and music itself, it's like a garden, man. You don't go in a garden and look at only one flower. It's not like I'm only gonna hmm. look at the yellow flowers. Do you? You know you go in the garden. <laughs> And there's all these yeah. flowers and the, the sheer variety of, all, of it all is one of the things that makes it so special. So with music,
0: man. Yeah. There's
1: so, so I don't want yeah. to listen to Taylor Swift for the rest of my life. Thank you very much. There's a lot of other stuff out there
0: as well. You know? Well, because I, I love photography yeah. and videography. And so I, I understand totally what you mean. It's just because I work with a lot of colour. But I also love a lot of black, black and white photography too or landscape exactly. or portrait or even macro photography. If I were just to choose one, I feel like that I'm limiting myself because I'm a, I'm a creative guy. But, yeah, I, I just love always experiencing exactly. new things. And uh,
1: Here we are. You know, we're in the garden of earthly delights. There's so much here that we can enjoy and play with and have pleasure with. Why would we limit ourselves just to the one thing? Certainly not. Do you express yourself in any other art? No, I'm a writer. That's what I do.
0: What got you into it? It's
1: what I always wanted to be since I was a teenager. I've always loved writing and I've loved uh, writers. And that's what I wanted to do.
0: Who was one of your favorite writers?
1: Man. I mean, you know, writing is so difficult, you know, because there are so many different, again, like music. You know, I don't want to say, oh, this is the greatest. This is the best. Uh, there's so many writers that I particularly like. I mean, I oh, like Hemingway. I like Joyce. I, you know, I like um, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. There's just there's millions of writers. I like uh, Borges. Um, you know, I like the French writers. It's just writing is like, as I say, is like a garden full of different coloured flowers. Man, I I work in the morning, so I've been talking to you, and as soon as I get off here. I'm back to my work. And that book, um, hopefully, will it's in the middle of being born. It's busy being born. And uh, hopefully one day you'll get to read it next year. And there's a film coming out, which will be on Netflix, all that stuff. So it's all all happening next year. That's the plan. Lovely talking to you, man. I must fly. Mm.